The following message is from Westway Christian Church in Scottsbluff, Nebraska. If you'd like to know more about us, go to westwaychurch.com. Thank you for listening. Well, if we haven't met, my name is Zane. I am one of the pastors here, and I am excited, like John said, that you guys have decided to join us today. We are, if you've been here for the past 12 weeks, just we're still pushing through Romans, and that's not changing today. So we're, we're in Romans 13. So if you have your Bible with you, I invite you to flip over to Romans 13, or if you want to use the Bible app, the Version app, there's an event going on. You can follow along in there, but as you guys are doing that, let me pray. Father God, I thank you for this day. I thank you for your word, and I thank you that you have given it to us. I pray that you be with us as we go through Romans 13. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. So, there is a lot going on in the book of Romans up to this point. Paul spent the first 11 chapters of this letter dealing with issues that are rising up between the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians. The Jewish Christians believe that they, as Christians as a whole, should be living one way, and the Gentiles, Christians, don't want to live the way that the Jewish Christians think they should live because it's too Jewish. So Paul is writing this letter because he wants to squash any division or hatred before it gets to the point of no return. Paul wants the church to be unified. Paul could have easily said, okay, Jewish Christians, you go down the road and you start Jewish Christian Church of Christ. Gentile Christians, you go down to the other side of the road and start Gentile Christian Church of Rome. But that's not how things work, according to Paul. Paul wants unity among the two groups of people. So last week, we read chapter 12, and that's kind of the start of a new section of the letter. The next few chapters, 12, 13, 14, and 15, Paul talks about how we are supposed to live, and he deals with the practical questions about life and living. In Romans 12, Paul talked about how they, the Christians living in Rome at the time, are to live within themselves. And today, Paul is going to talk about how the Christians should live when it comes to the outside world. So I'm going to read Romans 13, 1 through 7. Everyone must submit to governing authorities. Now, pause. I don't know if this was the Holy Spirit or when John decided that we're going through Rome's, if he planned this perfectly for election day being two days away. And the first thing we say is everyone must submit to governing authorities. So with that said, we're just I'm going to get this out of the way. We're not necessarily talking politics. If you are expecting me to stand up here and say, Jesus is a Republican, you're going to be disappointed. And on the flip side, if you think I'm going to stand up here and say, Jesus is a Democrat, you're going to be disappointed. That's not where we're going with that. So just, you can kick that thought out of your mind. So I'm going to start, I'm going to start that sentence over. Everyone must submit to governing authorities. For all authority comes from God. And those in positions of authority have been placed there 
by God. So anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and they will be punished. For the authorities do not strike fear in people who are doing right, but in those who are doing wrong. Would you like to live without fear of the authorities? Then do what is right, and they will honor you. The authorities are God's servants, sent for your good. But if you are doing wrong, of course you should be afraid, for they have the power to punish you. They are God's servants, sent for the very purpose of punishing those who do what is wrong. So you must submit to them, not only to avoid punishment, but also to keep a clear conscience. Pay your taxes, too, for the same reasons. For government workers need to be paid. They are serving God and what they do. Give to everyone what you owe them. Pay your taxes and government fees to those who collect them. And give respect and honor to those who are in authority. And so Paul is commanding these believers to submit to their government, which isn't a new idea. If we read through the New Testament, this is a common theme in different letters written. So throughout the New Testament, Testament, we see different writers telling their audience to submit to their government. So what does submission mean? It means cooperation, loyalty, and a willingness to obey. So this would be difficult for, for Paul's audience, the Roman church, to hear for a couple reasons. One of those reasons being is that part of the church was made up of former Jews who are still clinging to their heritage. We have mentioned several times throughout the series that one of the reasons Paul had to write this letter is because the Jewish people got kicked out of Rome, and when they came back, the Gentiles had changed up the way that church was done. But throughout the first century, we see different times where the Jewish people were kicked out and then welcomed back to Rome. Really, it just depended who was in charge and how he was feeling on that particular day. Also, the Roman Empire regarded Christianity as a sect of Judaism, and Paul is telling them that they are not part of Judaism. So this really puts the church in an awkward political position on how they fit in because they could not expect any legal protection, such as the Jews, at this time because the emperor was cool with them. And besides that, Christianity was also sus suspected as being a revolutionary group. And so there are a lot of really simple instructions that we see in these sets of verses. Submit to the government or governing authority, pay your taxes, and give to everyone what they're owed. Simple, right? But how hard is it for us to do these things? It's pretty hard. So submit to your governing authority, even if they're Democrat or even if they're Republican. Submit to your governing authority, even if there's a mask mandate that you don't necessarily agree with. And so why is it important for our governing to submit to our governing authority or just even authority in general? You see, although submitting to God is our most basic responsibility, God has placed us in situations that offer us daily lessons in submission. If we don't learn proper submission in those areas, 
our submission to God just may be imaginary. So a question that you may be asking yourself, how can I measure my progress when it comes to learning practical submission? Well, that is a great question, and I am glad you are thinking that. You can ask yourselves the following questions. Which of the following, which of the following challenges me to practice submission? Family, school, work, sports, civil government? To what person in authority am I personally accountable to? How submissive is my attitude toward each of those authorities? How well am I able to separate issues of authority from matters like personality differences, disagreements, envy, and ambition? In what specific ways can I demonstrate respect for the authority of even those whom I do not admire? You see, we can learn how to submit to God by submitting to those who God has placed over us in authority. So the question is, what grade would you give yourself in the class of God? Sorry. What grade would you give yourself for how you are doing in God's class on submission? So when there's an authority over us that we don't necessarily like, like the government, a boss, a school teacher, or even a family member, we see in verse 5 that we must submit to them. So you must submit to them, not only to avoid punishment, but also to keep a clear conscience. You see, as Christians, we need to be more than just box checkers. Hey, I went to church this week. Check. Not only did I read my Bible this week, I read it twice. Check. And I prayed before every meal. Check. You see, when Jesus enters into our lives and we are not transformed, then something has gone terribly wrong. We desire to honor God in all that we do, including submitting to authority. We don't honor God out of fear of the punishment that may happen if we don't honor him. But if everything we do in our lives brings honor to God, then we can have a clear conscience. We submit to authority because we want to honor God. It may look like from the outside that they, that, that authority does not deserve our submission because of one thing or because of what they are doing. But one thing we have to remember is that it is not our job to determine if the authority is actually serving God and their thoughts and actions. We leave that up to God and we let him deal with that. So what I am about to say may be hard for you to believe if you have watched any sort of news in the past 20 years or so. But willingly or unwittingly, people in authority are God's servants. They are allowed their position in order to do good. This provides our main motivation to pray for our authority. Paul in 1 Timothy 2, 1 and 2 says this, I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. Ask God to help them. Intercede on their behalf and give thanks for them. Pray this way for kings and all who are in authority so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by good godliness and dignity. And so, 
I was on Facebook this morning, and I saw someone post a picture with a quote on it by R.C. Sproul's. And this quote is something I would like for you to remember. I know I said we're not talking politics, but when you go in to vote on Tuesday, I want you to remember this quote that he says, the deciding ballot in every election is cast by God himself. So when we pray for those in authority over us, it also means that we will be watching them closely. If we pray diligently for those in authority over us, in a way we are functioning as God's lookouts. You see, we must avoid ignorance and apathy toward our world. Because if we ignore our world or we're apathetic toward our world, it is going to be very hard for us to love the people in the world. So I want to continue in Romans 8. I'm going to read, or Romans 13, 8 through 14 says, Owe nothing to anyone except for your obligation to love one another. If you love your neighbor, you will fulfill the requirements of God's law. For the commandments say, you must not commit adultery, you must not murder, you must not steal, you must not covet. These and other such commandments are summed up in this one commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to others, so love fulfills the requirements of God's law. This is all the more urgent, for you know how late it is. Time is running out. Wake up, for our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is almost gone. The day of salvation will soon be here. So remove your dark deeds like dirty clothes and put on the shining armor of right living. Because we belong to the day. We must live decent lives for all to see. Don't participate in the darkness of wild parties and drunkenness or in sexual promiscuity and immoral living or in quarreling and jealousy. Instead, clothe yourself with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ and don't let yourself think about ways to indulge your evil desires. So owe nothing to anyone except love. So why is love in these, this verse viewed as a debt here? Well, you see, we are permanently in debt to Christ for the love that he has lavished on us. And the only way we can ever begin to start paying that debt is by loving at others. However, even Dave Ramsey couldn't get you out of this debt. We will never be able to repay our love debt because Jesus' love will always be infinitely greater than ours. And because of that, we will always have the obligation to love our neighbors. And so, I want to ask you a question. And this isn't a rhetorical question. I really do want you to raise your hand if the answer is yes. And don't worry. If you raise your hand because the answer is yes, all it means is that you are a human being. Okay? How many of you have someone in your life that is hard to love? There we go. Whoever didn't raise their hand, let's talk afterwards because I, I got to learn your secret. So all of us has someone in their life that is just hard to love. So what are you doing to help yourself 
learn how to love others. So there's this newspaper columnist and minister. His name was George Crane, and he tells of a wife who came into his office full of hatred toward her husband. I don't only want to get rid of him, I want to get even. Before I divorce him, I want to hurt him as much as he's hurt me. So Dr. Crane suggested an ingenious plan. He said, go home and act as if you really love your husband. Tell him how much he means to you. Praise him for every decent trait. Go out of your way to be kind, considerate, and as generous as possible. Spare no efforts to please him, to enjoy him. Make him believe that you really do love him. After you've convinced him of your undying love and that you cannot live without him, then drop the bomb. Tell him you're getting a divorce and that, that will really hurt him. See with revenge in her eyes and she smiled and exclaimed, beautiful, will he ever be surprised? And she did it with enthusiasm, acting as if for a couple months she showed love, kindness, listening, giving, reinforcing, sharing. And then when she didn't return, Crane called. Are you ready now to go through with the divorce? Divorce, she exclaimed. Never. I discovered I really do love him. You see, her actions had changed her feelings. Motion resulted in emotion. The ability to love is established not so much by fervent promise as often as repeated deeds. You see, loving our neighbor is a choice. No matter the circumstance, we have to make a choice to love. We live in a world where we're all going to run into people that is just hard to love. But that's when we need to learn how to love them. And so where do we learn to love? Well, it all starts at a very young age because that is the job of the parents. Learning how to love our neighbors and everyone we meet begins at home. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9 says this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. You must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your strength. And you, mu and you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I am giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you are at home, when you are on the road, when you are going to bed, when you are getting up. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. You see, as parents, we are to love God with all of our hearts, souls, and strength. When we love God with every fiber of our being, we long to follow his commands and we long to teach and tell our children about God's love and his commandments. We want to pass the love we have for God down to our children. And so to tag on on what we talked about earlier, God placing people in authority, you see, the greatest authority for a child in their life is the parents. And parents, what are you doing with your position of authority over your ch children? So for example, I have a little girl, a little two-and-a-half-year-old. Her name's Veronica. She's the cutest little baby ever. Anyway, I'm biased. So let's say 
she grows up, she's in high school, and a boy comes up to her and says, you're ugly, you're dumb, you smell, no one is going to want to date you, let alone going to want to marry you. What a pretty awful thing to say to anybody. However, depending on how her mother and I raise her, those words can just slip away. Maybe she'll go gather some of her friends and hunt that boy down and beat her up. Whatever, that works for me. Now, let's say she comes home from school, and I'm sitting there, I'm watching TV. She walks into the door. I look over at her, and I say, you're ugly, you're dumb, you smell. No one's going to want to date you, let alone marry you. So how will she take that one? She'd be devastated, and I'm willing to bet that this life-altering comment could lead to years of anxiety and depression in my child. But the question is why? The comments were the exact same. Why is it any difference? You see, as her dad, I have an authority over her life, this relationship with her that is different from anyone else on this planet. So we as parents have a special responsibility when it comes to being the authority figure over our children. I'm going to read Psalm 78, 4 through 8. We will not hide these truths from our children. We will tell the next generation about the glorious deeds of the Lord, about his power and his mighty wonders. For he issued his laws to Jacob. He gave his instructions to Israel. He commanded our ancestors to teach them to their children. So the next generation might know them, even the children not yet born. And they, in turn, will teach their own children. So each generation should set its hope anew on God, not forgetting his glorious miracles and obeying his commands. Then they will not be like their ancestors, stubborn, rebellious, and unfaithful, refusing to give their hearts to God. I want to reread the second half of verse 5 and then verse 6. He commanded our ancestors to teach them to their children so the next generation might know them, even the children, even the children not yet born, and they in turn will teach their own children. Even the children not yet born. You see, what are we, what we are doing now with our children can and will affect our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren, our great-great-grandchildren. This authority that God has gave us over our children is a responsibility not to be taken lightly. I read a quote this week by Anne Bradstreet, who was a poet from the 1600s. She once said, authority without wisdom is like a heavy axe without an edge, fitter to bruise than to polish. If you are not exercising your authority over your children with the wisdom that is found in this book, you are only hurting your children. 
You see, one way to exercise authority over our children is by glorifying God, not only through our thoughts and our words, but through modeling to our children what it means to be a Christian. And what does that look like? Well, we talked about that last week. We do what Paul writes in Romans 12, 9 through 21. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection. And take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble. And keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. And don't think you know it all. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. You see, when we do these things in our everyday lives, our kids watch us do this. Then we are setting an example for them to follow. We are showing them that when they submit to us as their authority, that they can trust us to disciple them. And it will be easier for them to submit to the other authorities in their life. If all of us, just not parents in this room, are doing what Paul tells us to do in chapter 12, then what he says at the end of chapter 13 will be easier for us, starting in Verse 13, because we belong to the day, we must live decent lives for all to see. Don't participate in the darkness of wild parties and drunkenness or in sexual promiscuity and immoral living or in quarreling and jealousy. Instead, clothe yourselves with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ and don't let yourself think about ways to indulge your evil desires. God wants us to do a lot of things. Submit to our authorities, love one another, clothe ourselves in the presence of Jesus Christ. He wants us to do all of this, not because he's some maniac control freak, but he knows that if we do this, he knows the good that will come out of it. If you're a parent, he has given you one of the most important jobs being the authority over your children. Do not abuse that authority. Instead, use it to disciple your children. Use it to raise children who love God and love others. And it starts when they are young. And so today is a very special day here at Westway. Today we are doing family dedications. 
And today we have three families who have decided that they want to dedicate their children to the Lord. And so I would like to invite those families up to the stage right now. Lots of babies up here. It's so fun. This morning we have Miss Clara and Trinity Brown. We have Ben and Hannah and little Galilee Iski. And we have Carrie Lincoln and Eleanor Johns up here with us this morning. So here at Westway Christian Church, we do family dedications instead of infant baptism. And the main reason that we don't do infant baptism here is that it's not found anywhere in scripture. But if we read throughout scriptures, we see a lot of dedications. And so that is why we do that here. And so I will let them take the stage. Clara, whenever you are ready. Trinity, I want you to know that I have been praying for you since before I met you. I prayed to God that I would be blessed with a beautiful child one day, and you are my answered prayer. The day God brought you to me was Christmas Day, and that was the best gift I could ever receive. You were my foster child for a year and a half, and on May 31st of this year, God allowed me to adopt you into our family permanently. God chose to use the word adoption when he added us to his family because he loves us unconditionally. And that is the kind of love I have for you. Trinity, I am so glad that you are a member of our family. All your life, God has been watching over you, loving you, and keeping you safe. And I am honored to share in that responsibility. And now I have the honor of raising you in God's grace. That's why I will continue to bring you to church on Sundays and to youth group on Wednesdays surrounding you with those who will teach you about Jesus and what he did to show his love for you. I will do my best to set an example that you will be proud to follow. My prayer for you is to grow up in faith in Jesus Christ, one day be baptized, and when your time on earth has ended, you will join me and our family in eternal life. She woke up. Galilee Grace, you have been the best surprise and one of my greatest treasures. And I'm so thankful God chose me to be your mom. Galilee is the place where Jesus walked on earth. It is where he ministered and brought the good news. It is where miracles happened. My prayer for you while you were growing in the womb was that people would meet Jesus when they met you. And I think it is fitting you would be named after the place where people tangibly and truly met Jesus. Over here. Grace, 2 Corinthians 12, 9. 
But he said to you, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, you can boast all the more gladly about your weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on you. We pray that you would live in the grace for today and that you would extend grace to others and to yourself in the midst of imperfections and allow God's true power to work through you in the areas where humanity falls short. Me and your dad don't expect you to be perfect. We don't need you to be or do anything to earn our love. This is the unconditional love of the Father we will model to you. My prayer is that Christ through us, we can love, teach, encourage, and champion you as parents. That you would grow up knowing your identity in Christ and never question our love or his love for you. So on this day, November 6th, 2022, we dedicate your life and all you will be to our Lord and Savior. And we dedicate ourselves to parenting you with heavenly grace and wisdom. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. All right, mommy did a really good job, but I'll add my own thing here. Galilee, I am so grateful for the blessing of being your dad. It has been such a wonderful experience and I've loved learning more about you and also about myself. As you grow and change, I promise that I will always strive to be a safe place for you. A hand, <laughs> a hand to hold and a soft shoulder to rest your head on. I promise to always point you to our wonderful, perfect, heavenly Father, especially when my earthly faults and shortcomings are most evident. I can't wait to share with you the ways he has worked in our life so far and to give thanks and pray for all he will continue to do in and through us as a family. I promise you that I will love your mom in a way that models how Jesus loves his church and will do my absolute best to give you a picture of what being a godly man and a father looks like. I know I won't be perfect, Galilee, but I promise that I'll always keep trying for you and for our family. I'll go first and do the hard things that will change the traje trajectory of our family, and I'll never stop drawing closer to Jesus so that I may draw closer to you, your mom, and hopefully your future siblings. I dedicate myself to being the best dad I can be to you so that one day you will make the choice to follow our friend Jesus and everyone who meets you will see the beauty and truth of his gospel lived out. Eleanor, we're so blessed to be your parents. You are such a curious and happy little girl. My hope for you is that you become a kind, strong, independent, Christ-loving woman. We promise to train you up in God's word and provide a loving home for you. As the third book of John, chapter 1, verse 4 says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. We will have no greater joy than to watch you grow in your faith. Ella, I love you with all my heart. Eleanor, this is the first of many milestones to come in your life with Christ. And even though you may not know it now, God is all around you and within you. As you grow up, we look forward to showing you endless unconditional love and patience while guiding you along the pathway to Christ. 
My hope for you is to blossom into an amazing woman who wholeheartedly places her life in the Lord. So we got a couple books <clears throat> for each of the families. One is called Parenting, 14 Gospel Principles That Can Radically Change Your Family. So here's just, here you guys go. And then the next one, I'm really excited about this. I got them all a Bible, but it's a wide margin Bible. And so I just want to, I'm going to kind of turn my back towards you guys. I'm sorry, I'm talking to them. So I just want to encourage you guys to take this Bible and use it together as a family. Mark it, circle it, write notes, whatever you want to do with it. And then when your child leaves your house for good, whenever that is, give it to them. And so they can look back and all the time that you guys were really discipling them. And then maybe one day they can use it with their family and do it with their children. So you each get a, get one of these fancy Bibles. So after the service, I'm going to have the families come back up down here so you guys can come and congratulate them and give them wise advice. Keep the scary stories of raising children to yourself. Tell them all the positive stuff. And so with that, I'm going to have them all come on the mini stage and I'm going to pray over them. Father, I thank you for family. I thank you for these three families up here who just said their dedication over their children. Thank you that they want to raise their child in a way that brings you glory and honor. Be with them through this journey. Bless them. And Father, it is in your name we pray. Amen.